What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. Nakira. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different complete guy, which the guy walk walkways of San Quentin death row and without a gang, without a group of people around you. So after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then you said we're going to be 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out, so that you're. That's actually funny. That's funny. I'll tell you why. I can. That's a good one, man. I'll tell you why. Hey, <clears throat> all right, this looks good. Welcome to Death Row Diaries. Oh. I'm, oh. I'm sorry, jackass is in there. Hold on one second, please. I sure want to scream out of my mouth. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Death Row Diaries. I'm Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nagaro. Now, Bill, I posted an emergency episode last week because we haven't been able to contact each other. There have been stabbings nonstop. It's mayhem, bedlam in the prison. I've been trying to coordinate with your people, and they said that, you know, there's more going on. You still can't have the phone because when you're locked down, you can't use the phone. And I, people are concerned. They're wondering what's going on. So let us know. Well, <laughs> I've been in prison, and uh, not the most well-adjusted people live here. And as you mentioned, there has been a number of stabbings. Hell, they even stabbed the guy in church. That went to church to pray, and they just stabbed the hell out of him, and they killed him. So this place has gotten really, really hectic. And, I mean, look, it's, you have the worst murderers in the world. You have 750 convicted killers on death row, and they're not the most well-adjusted guys in the world. And they fix their problems with violence. And that's exactly what's happening here. And it's escalated this last month and a half to two months. As you know, we've we've had to coordinate around this stuff. And it just seems to be getting worse and worse. And today's the first day that we're off lockdown. And, you know, I hope it stays off lockdown. But I'm not going to be here that much longer. We were discussing this before the show came on. And as you know, on the 27th of January, which was last Friday, I was taken... Um, buy a vehicle to a different part of the prison, and there, in front of a screen, like it's called WebEx, I was in Orange County by video, and I was resentenced to a lesser sentence. They dropped the death penalty on me, and they agreed to give me life. And so there's going to be a lot of changes going on, and, and the audience, I believe, should know about it. And so basically what's going to happen is that I'm now still in my cell in East Tower of Death Row awaiting for my paperwork to arrive here. When the sentencing uh, certificate, which says that I'm no longer under death and now I have life, when it gets here, I will be immediately notified that I will be going to a classification committee the following Wednesday. When that happens, I am immediately stuck on CTQ, which is called confined quarters. When that Wednesday morning comes and they come to escort me to that committee, I will never return to my cell on death row. Um, I'll have my pop, 
video will be escorted to a different part of the prison called the Carson section, which is basically the hole. It's ad segregation. Um, I get no phone, and I will be sitting there for one to four months pending transfer to a medium security prison where I will no longer have handcuffs on, I will no longer be, you know, confined and all this, you know, status that I'm on now. And I will basically be walking around, I'll get a job, I'll, um, then I'll have a phone and be able to speak to you because the California Department of Corrections are allowing tablets and we can uh, make telephone phone calls from those tablets as well as I'll have email privileges. So you and I back and coordinate episodes, but there's going to be a break coming up in the near future where I will not be able to call you and the show will probably be in limbo for a minute. Yeah. So how does this coincide with death row closing? Cause that's, that's also happening. That's not why you're leaving obviously, but is that simultaneously going on? Well, we, we received from the governor's office um, about two weeks ago a sheet of paper that basically gave all the details of this proposed move. The proposed move is based on Proposition 66, where voters of California voted that they wanted guys on death row to be moved to other prisons so they can work and get normal jobs and pay restitution to um, the victims' families. So let me be candid with you and the audience. That's a crock of shit, okay? The, re you know, the people that wrote that bill were a bunch of idiots that wrote the bill to stall and put a, uh, a stick in the spokes of the rim. They said it would speed things up, it's actually slowed things down. Prior to that bill coming out, you would get an automatic appeal to the California Supreme Court, you got lawyers, you heard your case, and when you were done, you were done. With Prop 66, in by the voters of California, which I believe they were duped into believing that this was going to help, they, of course, uh, go down to a, a lower court and they have to work their way up to the Superior Court, Supreme Court of California. And that takes years, decades to do that. Instead of a couple of years, now it's going to take 20 or 30 years of appeal. So they're never going to have executions in California. The, the death penalty is a fraud, is what it is. But it's going to uh, cost taxpayers millions actually it's going to cost them billions of taxpayer dollars for a smokescreen so people can say yes we're going to go the harshest penalty we're giving we're going to give them the death penalty and they're not going to execute it it's just a crock gavin newsom has it right by trying to dismantle this thing and actually uh end the death penalty because it doesn't serve any purpose because they're not going to execute anybody but it costs a lot of money. Now, the move that's going to happen is going to place all these guys in other high-security prisons across the California. In terms of the taxpayer getting these guys to work and getting 75% of their income to give the victims' families, again, a smokescreen. How? I'll answer your question, which politicians won't. It's simple. When you get an order from a superior court you've been sentenced to death automatically that death sentence and everything on that particular order is stayed because you have to go through the appeal process guess what ladies and gentlemen you know what's on that sheet of paper as well the order to pay restitution to the victim's family so because everything on that sheet 
estate pending an appeal, those guys who are working are not giving money to victims' families. That was a smokescreen that they got the California payer, taxpayer and voter to vote on, and they didn't tell them that little secret. That's why I dislike politicians, because they're dishonest. Yeah, it also seems like a bit of a straw man. I mean, Bill, how much money could we possibly be talking about? Yeah, exactly. It's bull. A prisoner makes, if he's lucky, 35, 40 cents a day, 50 cents a day. I mean, come on. You're going to get a whole 30 cents a day from these guys? It's just, it's, it's a ridiculous thing. That's what people do when they want to get voters to vote for something that they believe in so they can use it again to make money. And there you are. There's the product of it. Please ignore the birds in the background if you're listening. I'm on vacation in Hawaii. <coughs> Sorry, Bill, to rub that in. Um, really? You're going to tell me the birds are singing in Hawaii? <laughs> you, know, you could have told me you're in your closet or something, and that would have been better for me. So let's talk about your sentence, because, you know, th this is all up to you how much you want to disclose, but it it's okay to say that you had been preparing for this legally. You had even kind of delayed it to make sure that your lawyers, or, or, or at least your lawyers, had had delayed to make sure that they could be fully prepared and and so this was successful you got what you wanted right to be resentenced yes uh the sentence was i was going to be resentenced anyways i did postpone it so my attorneys can prepare themselves to um file motions with the court um you know i've been in prison for 40 years i am a youth offender and i've never had prior felonies or anything else on my record so we're going to be appealing to the court because California does have laws that say that if you're under the age of you know, 25, you're a youth offender and you're less culpable than people who have a fully developed brain. I wasn't even close to 25. I was only 18 years old when this happened. So we're hoping that the courts will view this as we view it and give me the opportunity to someday uh, prove that I actually have been rehabilitated and that I can serve a better purpose to society by being free rather than in this cage. So we are preparing, uh, and this will be developing over the next year or so. And so to clarify, what is your new sentence? Like, what's the technical term for what you are sentenced to now? It's called LWAP, which is life without the possibility of parole. That is a sense that is placed on my shoulders. Um, does it mean exactly that? It should, and it does. But as I mentioned, I'm a youth offender, and there are right now cases in the courts which are redefining that. How can you give a man a thousand years to life and he's a youth offender, but he paroles or at least eligible for parole after 25 years? But if you give a guy a life without, which it's the same thing as a thousand years to life because you're never getting out with a thousand years to life sentence. So why should the guy with life without possibly parole, if he's shown that he's rehabilitated himself, if he's educated himself, and he poses no threat to society, why should he be given the same treatment as a person who's a youth offender as well that got a thousand years to life? And the Constitution guarantees that. It's called equal protection. People who are similarly situated and those who are youth offenders are similarly situated because of their brain development. 
I know it sounds like a lot of legal jargon, but it's actually true. So I'm hoping that I'm afforded the same equal protection that a another youth offender who are now at least elder for parole. I hope I get the same type of treatment. That's that's basically the in simple terms. I hope I get equal protection and equal treatment as other youth offenders um, that have shown that they can and have been rehabilitated. So when you were sentenced to death in the early 80s, at the time you were one of the youngest people ever in this country, uh, certainly one of the youngest, you know, I don't know who's keeping track of the days, but you were one of the youngest people to ever have this happen in, in like recent history, right? Absolutely. Yes, I was at the time uh, one of two guys. I was the youngest guy on death row at the time, and I was... Um, an 18-year-old child, a boy, when this happened. Yeah, okay. I want to remind everyone to check us out on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash Diaries, as well as on Spotify. On the app, you'll see that content available as well if you want to support the show. Also, follow us on Instagram and Facebook where you can send us questions that you want Bill to answer. And we have a lot coming in. So I want to touch briefly on some of this prison drama before we get into today's episode, which is Jason Williams, the NBA player who shot his chauffeur, for what reason remains to be seen. But when we come back, Bill, can we talk a little bit about this stabbing spree epidemic that's going on? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Hey, man. Yeah, so death row always has been a violent place, but I don't know if this is kind of the worst you've seen it. I mean, I was trying to coordinate with you. I hear there's been a stabbing. Next thing I know, there's been another stabbing and another. I'm like, wait, is that the original stabbing? I can't even keep track of it. Uh, So... Is it, yeah. is it bad? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's bad, but I've seen it worse. I mean, this is, in the 80s and 90s, this place was just every I mean, the first time I came out to the yard in 1987, the first day they slit a guy's throat and they put us on lockdown for like 10 days. We went back out the next day and the next day a guy was stabbed near the death the second day and then we were on lockdown for 10 days and we went out and again it was, so it's been, bad in the past, but there has been an uptick lately with prison politics. You have to understand that you put a lot of aggressive men together and you really don't give them any rehabilitative uh, classes or anything where they can look forward to. There's nothing here. They've cut the yards from seven days a week to three days a week. Guys are restless. They get a little mouthy on the tear. They may yell at somebody. They disrespect somebody. Next thing you know, the guy's in the yard, he has a knife, he's trying to kill the guy. That is one way. The other way is just prison politics, gang members in politics with other gangs. It, it constantly happens, and you've had stabbing after stabbing after stabbing based on these type of politics, and it's the norm in prison. It's nothing that I heard to. I don't uh, heard to uh, normal prison behavior to resolve my problems. But other people do. 
they have not chosen to rehabilitate themselves or to choose a moral code. They just live by, you know, big dog bark, little dog runs type of attitude, and that's how they live their lives. So this recent spate of stabbings, I mean, was this one incident that spiraled out of control and spawned retaliation? By the way, do you even care? Do you follow this? I mean, you must kind of hear things about what's going on, but, um, yeah, like, what? Well, I, I, yeah, I pay attention to everything around me because that's my job. It's my job to stay alive. You know, I don't see something coming, I'm going to end up dead. Uh, because you never know. It, what looks like a step between two gang members, I immediately, when something like that's going on, I'm looking around me because it could be a decoy just to get my, my attention on that. And once I'm focused on that, someone comes behind me and nails me. So I'm always very aware of the politics, who's politicking, what they're politicking, why someone's stabbed, why they're not stabbed, why this guy was taken out and that guy wasn't, and they're the same. So every aspect of what's going on here, I try to find out as much as I can because my life depends on it, and it is what I do. It's uh, it's something like a muscle. If you don't exercise it, it goes away. I keep myself very sharp by reading people and reading these yards. And, um, yeah, I saw this coming. There's um, nothing I can do about it, but I can see it coming, and I did so in order to survive the situation. So four stabbings, zero deaths. Are they, uh, are they trying to kill the guy and failing, or... Is are these guys getting lucky or this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Oh, they were they were attempted murders. They tried to kill the guys. I mean last year they a year and a half ago they, they tried to kill a guy and they killed him. I mean, it was a murder on the yard. They just killed him fifteen feet from me. And um, since then there's been multiple stabbings and they tried to kill the guys. They I mean they're they're doing it. They they basically gutted one of the guys. All his guts were hanging out. Hmm. They tried to. Guy, you know, it's, it's difficult to tell him me, and people think it may not be, but it's, it's very easy on one hand. On the other hand, it's very difficult to kill a human being who's fighting back. And these guys will sit there and just say, come on and get me. These guys are also gang members, and they're also killers, so it's not so easy. But it happens. All right, so I, I've, I haven't really figured this out. The reason that you can't use the phone, which you do most days, after there's a stabbing, is because the place is in lockdown. I understand that, but I I don't really understand what that means. Is it because they don't want people uh, talking about the stabbings, or is it just because the, the phone being uh, brought out to your cell is breaking a protocol? Like, what is that about? Well, it, it really it really does depend. I mean, it, all of the above. They don't want people calling out that know what's going on making phone calls, or, you know, when they lock you down, there's an investigation. They have the, the security squad in the institution who, will be, who, if there's knives involved, they'll go out there and look at the knives. They'll, they'll take pictures. It's like a crime scene in any, um, in, in, in any place. Uh, they have tape out there. They, they photograph it. They bring in experts to forensic people because, they, by all intended purposes, they're gathering evidence to prosecute somebody. And so when that's going on, they don't want people walking out there trampling, so they lock us down. They don't, in this situation, 
they didn't run phones. They actually then came in with dogs and they searched the entire place. I mean, every cell they went through with dogs, with the detectors to see if pieces of the bunks were missing to be knives. All these things happened. It's, it's a long process and it took them nearly a week to go through the entire entire death row, which is East Block. The other parts of death row, which is North Seg, were not involved in this, so they don't really bother them. But East Block is the most violent death row there is in the world. <laughs> it just is. And I live here, and I've been here for nearly 36 years, and this is the protocols. They lock you down, they search yourself, they search everybody, and they do a thorough investigation, interviews, and then when that is done and they feel that it is the safety of the institution has been restored, they unlock us. Is there any element of, you know, the, the reason behind the violence escalating that, you know, these prisoners know that they're moving to other prisons? As you explained to me, there aren't that many other prisons that, you know, in California that house these violent guys. But is there any element of, you know, last day of school? I always wanted to punch this guy, and I don't know if I'm going to get a chance, so I'm just going to do it now. I'm sure that's, that crosses the minds of the guys who are not really involved in the gangs. The gangs always have a reason why they're doing it. You know, they're cleaning up their backyard. There's that guy who's, I don't know, he thought he was a snitch before, and they really couldn't prove it, and now they can. Or, you know, that guy, he's, he's cool with that particular crew member, and that crew member is no longer good. We believe he's conspiring with it. All these crazy, it's like the Italian bomb. They got all kinds of conspiracies going on. But why was Paul Castellano murdered by John Gotti and Sammy the Bull? Power, you know, politics. Uh, so the same thing happens in prison. It's just at a different scale and for different reasons, but it's all in-house politics. All of it is. And it has to have crossed your mind, I would imagine. I'm trying to put myself in your situation. Okay, let's just make it through. I did not do nearly 40 years to be stabbed at the end of it by some <laughs> moron, you know, because I let my guard down, right? Oh, yeah, but I, mean, I don't even think of what's nearly for 40 years. I always leave my cell and touch the wall and come out my door and say, today will try and kill me. And I go out there with an attitude every single time. My antenna's up, I'm watching all angles. I'm not gonna allow someone to try and harm me. I mean, they may try, but I will defend myself. Um, I'm not a victim, okay? I, I don't even play a good victim on television, okay? I just don't work that way. So I will defend myself. And if somebody thinks because I'm doing this show that somehow, or I speak on different networks about serial killers and the criminal element, that that somehow makes me weak. Well, they have an entire different uh, outlook in life than I do. There is, uh, nothing has changed with me. I am doing these shows because it's the right thing to do. I'm helping society learn. I'm educating. If someone doesn't like you and try to take me out because of it, I'm always ready, Matt. I am not, by any way, shape, or form, even when I go to a new prison, it's a lower level prison, I've never let my guard down. Because I understand, like everybody should, that's why I end the episode, every episode would be saying, be aware of your surroundings. That is the biggest thing. And I'm not about people trying to kill you, it could be a car accident. If you are sitting in a, in a, in a 
Doritos schnitzel eating a freaking hot dog and you're not paying attention, a car can skid out of a lane and go towards you. If you're alert, you will jump out of the way. But if you're not aware of your surroundings, that means everything encompassed in that little surroundings, you can be a victim. I am very aware of my surroundings at all times, and I will not be a victim. As can you, on a different scale, in a lot of major cities in America, especially downtown Los Angeles, where I, you know, walk around every week at night to and from my car, and I know there's someone out there that's capable of killing me, and guess what? I look around. And I would just like to say to the prisoners that, that you're dealing with, because I don't have to deal with it, you know, fuck you all. Come at me. What are you going to do about it? No, I totally get it. I understand how you feel. You know, you, you're you're a normal person who's lived his life without being a criminal. And yeah, your position is, hey, screw you. You know, I no one has a right to harm you, and you should have that attitude. You're a tax-paying citizen. You're a good guy. With me, it's I don't have that attitude. My attitude basically is, I'm not going to be a victim, and. If you're a bad guy, you can be twice as bad. So um, it's a matter of, am I worth your trouble? You know, I I don't look like a victim, so am I worth the trouble? Or am I worth you becoming a victim to my right hook? That is the, the big question here. Because I know people think rehabilitation means that you should just lower your head and just allow someone to kill you. That is not how I believe rehabilitation is. Uh, Rehabilitation, look, in this country stands for every red-blooded American man and woman at one point in history fought for this country. The pioneers, the people that went west, they fought for every inch of what they believed in. That's what America's about. That's what we celebrate the 4th of July, okay? Independence Day. People fight for what they believe in. Any human being who is attacked by some low life trying to harm has the absolute right to defend himself, defend those he loves, and defend his property. That's what I believe. That's what the Constitution stands for. That's what America stands for. And I stand for the same thing. As I said before, I am a conservative. That's what I believe in. And I'm on a prison yard. And I will. the only thing that I own is my body and my mind. And if someone tries to harm me, I will defend myself. I will not lie down. But in the same token, man, I watch for the signs. I make sure that I'm away from those situations when they're about to happen. I don't want to be in the middle of it because you can easily get shot. And then you have no control when a bullet hits you in the head. So there's a lot of things that go on here. I try and stay clear of them. But if there is, if a guy is focused on me or come at me, there's nothing a man can do but to fight to defend himself. That's all you can ask for. Well, are there guys, like when I walk around L.A., I see a guy who's he's wearing a bunch of jewelry, which looks fairly stupid, you know, regardless of anything. But he's staring at his phone while he's walking down a dark street. He's half drunk, stumbling around. I'm like, yeah, okay, good luck, you know. Not that I'm preoccupied with this, but I'm just like, well, there's a target. I, there can't be guys like that in prison that are that stupid, are there? Oh, yes. <laughs> you just don't know the guys. There are some. There's people like that around the whole world. This society is no different than what they use them in. It's a micro-society. 
they're every type. And there are predators, there are victims, they're, all of them are here. They just act a little different. But it's the same thing that happens out there. Happens in here. There's liberals in here, there's, liberals, there's conservatives in here. Same thing as in your society. No different. They're all All right, Bill, so let's do an awkward transition here to our episode for this week. And we wanted to talk about Jason Williams. This is a big, giant NBA player who shot a guy. Now, <laughs> you know, that, that's all we can say about it. it. It's morbid because for some reason, and I got to check myself, you know, I, I look at this as being a goofy story. I was, and I, and and it's like, no, this isn't funny. An innocent person died. I guess just because Jason Williams is such a ridiculous man, it is why I found it to be somewhat uh, entertaining on its face. Yeah, this is a case of just gross negligence, and I don't, I don't really believe in the. Well, I was ignorant and I was playing with a gun and it just accidentally went off. I got a problem with that. I just don't believe in that kind of stuff. A life was lost because a guy was playing around. And there is no motive here. There, there was no, look, he knew the guy, he wanted his wife or he wanted his money. This is just a person who was overprivileged most NBA, NBA guys are. I mean, he signed a, a $90 million contract a season and a half prior to this happening. And it's just, it's crazy the amount of stupid in this case. Yeah, yeah. For those who don't know, Jason Williams was an NBA player, yeah, as you said, and he signed a, a big contract with the New Jersey Nets. He was a good player, never a great player. He had the potential, they thought, to maybe be uh, an all-star, uh, an all-NBA type player. Really big guy, giant guy, uh, gregarious guy. Um and, you know, at this point, when the shooting happened, he was, as a player, he was a disappointment. And I think that probably speaks to all of this and his general lifestyle. Yeah, well, let's go a little bit into details about this guy. So Jason Williams, he was born in 1968, 6'9", giant guy. He was uh, drafted by the Phoenix Suns, and he was a first-round pick. He was a 21st overall pick in 1990. He came out of St. John's. And um, as he was drafted, he was immediately dealt or traded to the 76ers, the, the Philadelphia uh, 76ers. And he played three seasons there. And he never really picked up there. He started only 12 times, had a decent, a decent career his first three years. He was mostly a rebounding guy, mostly a guy that played defense. And then he was traded to New York or the New Jersey Nets. And in 1996, his career took off. He 
set franchise records on opening night with 20 rebounds, 17 offensive rebounds. He became an all-star that season. Um, and his life was going great, 96, 97, 98, 99. And then suddenly, on April the 1st, 1999, he has a career-ending incident. His leg is shattered while he's playing against the Atlanta Hawks. And after surgeries and everything else, and he set out the entire season, he actually retires because he can't play anymore. But prior to that, he signed a six-year, $90 million contract that was guaranteed, meaning that he got every penny of those $90 million. And it looks like he just didn't know how to act. Um, he began to get problems. He had, before this, he was accused of breaking a bottle over a guy's head in a bar. Uh, two years later, he's accused of firing a semi-automatic gun into a parking lot in the Meadowlands Sports Complex. So he was an immature guy doing immature things. But none worse than after his career ended in 2002, February the 14th, which is Valentine's Day, a 55-year-old limo driver named Costas, his name was Gus, that was his, his nickname, Gus, uh, Christophe, was shot at the William Estate in uh, Alexander Township in New Jersey. This guy, Gus, was hired to take Williams uh, to an event. And while Williams was giving like a tour of his mansion, this whole time he's playing with this shotgun. I mean, think about that, Matt. You, you invite people over to your house. You're having a bit of a, a tour. Like, like you, I come into your house. Hey, I want you to check out, you know, the new bedroom that my wife and I are putting together. And, and a couple of people follow you up there because they want to look at what you're doing. They're looking at your mansion. But in the meantime, you got a freaking loaded shotgun in your hand and you're freaking flipping it around. I mean, that makes no absolute sense at all. But that's exactly what this guy was doing. He was playing with a loaded shotgun. Yeah, I'm never comfortable with that. Uh, I feel like there is a thing where a guy wants to match the the macho level of the of the guy with the gun, so they don't want to act like they're uncomfortable with it, you know. And it's not like the guy has to be pointing the gun at you, but I, I just I think most people are are very uncomfortable with someone handling a gun very casually in front of them. Sure, I mean, look. I I'm a hunter. I've hunted up since I was a four-year-old child. If you have a, a rifle or a shotgun, it's always broken in half. It's broken, meaning that it's cocked open. The chamber is sitting open, and there's no nothing chambered, and you carry it that way in the down position. That's what you learn in in uh, to get your, your hunting license. You never point a rifle or a gun or any kind of firearm at anyone, no matter what. That's the first thing you learn. This guy is a multi-millionaire. He's a six-foot-nine giant. He's walking around his matching on a tour, and he's playing with a loaded shotgun. And look, it's like tootle-dee and tootle-dum. Unfortunately, the shotgun goes off, and it strikes Gus, the chauffeur driver, killing him. And... You know, when this happened, I remember, because I was, I was in this cell watching the NBA and the news when this happened. 
that the New Jersey's power forward star, Jason Williams, was uh, involved in an incident where his chauffeur was killed by him. Yeah, so a shotgun, obviously, at close range, you don't have to be aiming. I mean, if that thing, you know, hits you anywhere, you're you're in trouble. It's got a, uh, I don't know the technical term, but, you know, <laughs> if it goes off and you're in front of it, very bad news. Yeah, the, the, the effects are devastating. What they have on shotguns, and for those who don't know, everybody looks at a shotgun and they think it goes off and, and, and a story. Well, a shotgun has a shell that has multiple BBs. They're very small BBs, unless you're using buckshot. It has like three large, well, marbles made out of lead or steel. And these days, the steel knife, I think, is still lead. And they don't shoot lead anymore because if it lands in lakes, it pollutes the lakes, it becomes toxic, it kills the wildlife. So, but a shotgun, when it goes off, and let's say it's a, a, a four shot, and it's high base, what happens is when it goes off, the BBs all stick in a very close knit, um, I guess, pattern. So when it hits, it has devastating effects. It blows holes in people. The, the more distance that the BBs are traveling, they disperse more and more. So if you're standing, say, 50 yards where a person shoots a shotgun, you probably get pepper with a lot of little BBs probably not going to kill you at 50 yards. But at close range, the devastating effect of a full mod or a modified or a full choke, what that means is the barrel, you guys notice that a shotgun has two barrels, the left and the right. With the horizontal, it's what they call a shotgun, what you see in the movies or cartoons. Uh, you know, Bucks Bunny's ringing right from uh, Elmer Fudd and he has a shotgun that has two barrels. That's, that's a... Um, a horizontal, it's just a regular shotgun. One of the barrels is a modified choke. Meaning, you fire the first one. You have 60 seconds remaining. It's for short distance. The second shot is a modified choke. It's for longer distance, so the BBs stay compact longer. They do more damage. So, you can imagine this guy being hit by this. Hey, the, the, the effects were devastating. They blew a hole in the guy, so they did. Let me call you back. All right, so this night, Williams, who I'm going to go out on a limb, I hope I don't get sued, but pretty sure he has a drinking problem at this point in time, as well as verifiably after the fact. Um, he's got one of these big houses, giant houses, you know, probably thin walls, not wealthy, but rich, you know, and... A word of advice if we have any younger listeners. If a rich guy ever needs people to come party with him, you don't want any part of this scene, right? It's always very dark. The, the guy's lonely. He's hanging out. There's like nine dudes freeloading off of him. Some of them are, you know, buddies, but, you know, they're all just drinking, smoking weed. There's nothing to do. You know, you're not near a city, which is why these these kinds of locations are not always great. And it... Nothing great ever happens with bored rich people. All right, so anyway, Williams accident. Well, yeah, Williams shoots the guy, and then Bill he has a decision to make when it sets in 
what has happened, and what does he do? Well, he, <laughs> he does what most people do in this situation. You know, I mean, at this part, I won't really say, well, you know, I would have done the same thing. You know, he's a rich guy, he's got a lot of money, he has a reputation, he's a former NBA player. He tries to cover it up. He tries to lie. You know, it didn't happen this way. It was, you know, I don't know what happened. And that isn't good because, the, you know, look, investigators, police, law enforcement, they've heard these stories before. He's not an accomplished criminal. He makes a lot of mistakes. They figure out very quickly because there's a bunch of people there, for God's sake. There's witnesses. They figure out extremely quickly that Williams was the one playing with the gun and that Williams shot this guy. Yes, yeah, so he jumps in his indoor pool, presumably to cleanse himself. But then he tells these nine people or so that he knows to varying degrees to lie for him. And that's just statistically, when you start breaking it down, there's no way that can work. It's, it's just not going to work, and it, and it doesn't work. But what should he have done? Well, he panicked, so he did. I mean, look, what he was trying to do is wash the gunpowder off of his hands. And it's, it's, um, uh, I forget the term, it's GSI or something that when you shoot a firearm, they can test you for the gun residue. And they'll know you're the one, you're the firee, you're the person that fired the rifle, or the hot shotgun in this case. What he should have done was never had a shotgun out in public playing with it at your freaking mansion when you have people standing around you. That's what he should have done. But he didn't. He played with it, he shot somebody, and he panicked. He tried to get these people to lie for him. Didn't work. Um, what he should have done was owned up to it. Uh, maybe tried to, I'm not sure at that point how much he could have done to help Gus, but... And I don't know because of any panic, was there a delay in calling uh, paramedics or calling somebody? I doubt seriously that a shotgun blast at close range would have done much good to help this guy out, but he should have just immediately called law enforcement, told him what happened, owned up to it, and that's it. But, you know, he continued with this for years. I mean, this case, this happened in 2002. He didn't actually go to trial to for a few years, and it was 2004, where he actually, a jury acquitted him of the more serious charges were of manslaughter, and, and, and uh, reckless manslaughter, and, and negligence, All they, they found him innocent of them, not guilty. And, you know, they convicted them of the crime of four counts of a cover-up. He tried to influence people. Those are the charges that they they actually convicted him of. And then it wasn't until, Jesus, 2006, that an appeal court ruled that he could be, in fact, be retried for reckless manslaughter. And then a few years passed, and this thing came out of the news. No one remembered it. In 2010, he pleads guilty to aggravated assault and they hit him with a five year sentence but here's the great part about this man after he's you know he takes this deal he's sentenced to five years he 
actually, you're not going to guess what crazy thing this guy does after this. Well, actually, right before it and then right after it. Well, I hope it's not alcohol-related and that violence isn't involved. Well, you would, man, you must be a mind reader because that's exactly what happens. So prior to him actually taking the, the guilty plea of aggravated assault, this guy is involved in 2009. He gets tasered by police officers at a New York hotel. And police say that he's intoxicated and he's become suicidal. I think it's because he believes his life is crashing down or he's looking for sympathy. There they find all kinds of prescription meds all around his room in New York where he's at. And because he's intoxicated, he's suicidal, they taser his ass. Okay, that's in 2009. Also in 2009, in North Carolina, he punches a guy in the head and the same, the next January, just before he takes the deal for the aggravated assault, he rams his Mercedes Benz into a tree. He's tested and he's under the influence of alcohol. So this guy is just spiraling out of control because he sees what's coming. His lawyers are probably telling him, look, you're going to do time. And it's coming. So he's doing all these crazy things, incident after incident. They finally, he gets a guilty plea. Yeah, he takes a guilty plea, gets five years, and he also gets a year for the DUI. He is released from prison. I mean, it's, it's a year, two years later. It's April 2012. He's released from prison. And he does what every celebrity does when they get out of prison. And that is too. He publishes a book called Loose Balls. That sounds like a damn comedy, but that's what the book was called. And subsequently, a couple of years later, he, he, uh, filed, uh, he published another book called Humbled, Letters from Prison. And again, a few a little bit more time goes by, and he writes another book called Crashing, a memoir. So, of course, he's talking about his, his career as an NBA player, what happened to him, he has his version of what happened. And we haven't heard from Jason Williams since then, but I'm sure he's living in a big mansion in New, New Jersey and um, doing what NBA players do when they retire. Probably running around his house with a shotgun in his bathrobe, or, you know, flipping the thing around like he's a, a Marine uh, drill sergeant or something, and probably uh, still thinking that someone else is going to believe that he wasn't the one who shot Gus. I'm wondering if he has any conditions where he's not allowed to own firearms anymore and he's he's just doing like bow and arrows or even cap guns or something. Well, I know that in, at least in California, if you get convicted of a violent crime and you're a felon, you cannot own a firearm. But firearm is a kind of, uh, it's kind of a loose area. A bow, a crossbow, it's not really a firearm. I mean, would that be considered a weapon? So I don't know. I, I don't, I think that part of his parole would have something to do with, with weapons. I'm sure it does. And um, we don't have any other incidences with him prior to this uh, manslaughter charge. 
that he was caught with weapons or anything. So I think this may have been one of those things that it's a novice guy, a beginner that has a rifle, a gun, a shotgun. He starts playing with it, doesn't understand the logistics of having or owning a shotgun, and it goes off. Look, this guy is not a murderer. He killed somebody. He's not the kind of person that's going to do it again. He's not a, a, a killer, a serial killer, or, or, or a person who this is what he does. This was just gross negligence of his part. She made a mistake. Look, I'm, I'm one to believe in second chances. Jason Williams deserves a second chance. He got it. I believe that is sound thinking. And what are you going to do? Put this guy in prison for 30 years for making a mistake? No. A person lost her life. I get that. But it wasn't done purposely. Jason Williams was not trying to kill anybody. He's just a moron. He was playing with a firearm and it went off. And to me, there is no excuse for that. That, that, that places you in the category of moron. So these shenanigans where he's essentially getting in bar fights or, or getting really drunk and weird and crying and all this, you know, is that a symptom, do you think, of him being racked with guilt, which I'm sure that he is? Or is that the kind of behavior just sort of a... I don't know, a guy that doesn't have his shit together, which led him to accidentally shoot someone in the first place. Now, I think um, I think it's a bit of remorse, uh, acknowledging that he is going to go to prison, that he's made a mistake he can't get out of. That plays, that's a heavy burden. And that's actually, look, and I know this is going to sound a little weird, and I'll, I'll discuss this when I get back, but there is a sense of that he's the kind of guy that He's not, uh, he can be rehabilitated. He's, he's a different type of, of, of person who committed a crime, and I'll explain it to you when I come back now. Yeah, Bill, so you wanted to elaborate? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, so this is what you got here. If he had committed this crime of this accident, it was, an, it was a horrible accident, but one based on negligence to pity. Had he just gone out his life, no big deal, you know, not acting out, acting totally normal, I'd have a problem with that because it shows kind of a sociopathic type of attitude. He doesn't feel anything, it's no big deal to him, he just carries on with his life. But we have a different set of circumstances with Jason Williams. You know, he, he, he slams his car into a tree He's drinking. He's having all these issues. It's it's a desperate cry on his part. Um, Self-medicating. He's taking prescription drugs. This shows me that it's eating him up inside. It's eating him up that he took a life. These are the normal responses that a person should have when they commit a crime when someone loses their life. Look. Not many guys in prison go through or admit it. I went through it. I know what it feels like to be responsible for the loss of a life. And it weighs on you. It weighs on you every single day. If you are a person who has normal faculties and think, understand, and really can relate to the gravity of taking human life, you're not gonna act normal. You're gonna go through a period of mourning yourself because you're the cause of it. 
I believe that Jason Williams, although it was a negligent idiot for what he did, once he understood it, he didn't have the tools to handle it, so he drank, he took medication, he was self-medicating himself because he was eating him up inside. I was joking about this earlier, saying that he's probably walking around and smashing down in his skivvies with a shotgun. That was an attempt at just terrible joking around, but all seriousness into this, or all jokes aside, I believe that Jason Williams was very remorseful for this, and his actions tell me that. I know there's gonna be people out there saying, no, he's an idiot, he drank because he wanted to drink. We don't have that happening prior to this incident. So obviously the incident had an impact on his life, and because he didn't have the tools to deal with it, he drank, he took prescription drugs, he acted out. Yeah, we're going to wrap it up, Bill. But, you know, I always, we see someone with money being accused of a serious crime in this country on TV on a pretty regular basis. And I always think, all right, so he, he made $90 million. He obviously doesn't have $90 million at his disposal. But, and, you know, he's a professional athlete. A few stereotypes there. I'll just, you know, leave that where it is. But, He's got to be able to liquidate and come up with five million dollars out of a hundred million. I, I would hope so. Sure. And there's a private airport in New Jersey. I'm, I'm picturing my own life here. There's one in Santa Monica. You find a pilot. You get a couple duffel bags. You go to France. You go to whatever country you prefer in Latin America. And, uh, Certain ones, obviously, you know, but uh, I'm thinking that's what I would do, facing the prospect of years and years in prison. Well, he only spent two years in prison. And that's, that's, a, that's a long time to know if he'd be. I could do two years thing in my head, but it was two years. And he, and he was probably in a, in a prison where he wasn't dealing with what I do with you know, he's in a minimum security prison, probably a country club type prison. And not that big of a deal. I'm sure the attorneys talked him down at some point and said, look, you can do this. This is not that big of a deal. You can do this. And he did. He's come out, he's become a published author. I hope he's doing well. I don't know a whole lot about him now because ever since he left the, the news, he's been out of the limelight. I hope he's picked up his life. I hope that he understands and actually has come to grips with what happened and what he did, how it cost that family, you know, a son, a brother, a father, and that, you know, he, he becomes a, a good person again. So we haven't really talked about too many good people that, that uh, I don't know, didn't, didn't mean to kill someone. This is a, a different kind of guy than what we usually talk about. Yeah, no, this is a different type of guy. And I, and I look, not because he's a millionaire do I believe he should be treated different. I believe he should be treated different because of the severity of the crime or lack of, uh, you know, intent. Premeditation. Yeah. Intent, yeah. This was a, a horrible accident. Uh, Jason Williams is not a killer, he's a person who killed somebody under very unique circumstances. I mean, I would put the. the the term idiot next to him before I would killer. But nonetheless, he killed somebody and we're talking about it because he's a, he's a very famous guy. 
I mean, I love his game. I used to watch him play and thought, man, that guy is he's a great rebounder, great defensive player. And then here we are talking about his life like he's in shambles. He went through a period. I'm sure he's bounced back. I'm sure he's been okay. Yeah. Well, you know, former professional athlete, uh, rock star from the 1980s or 90s who's past his prime, any of these types of people, you know, unemployed actor who starred on a series, any of these types of people ever invite you to their house, you know, free booze, free drugs, politely decline the offer. I think you'll be much better off. I don't speak from experience, just common sense. Anyway, Bill, uh, we're going to be back next week, and we appreciate all the listeners sticking with us through these uh, very atypical chaotic times and uh you know regardless of of what happens with where you're transferred we're gonna find a way to keep the show going and uh we'll we'll be doing the best we can with it yeah i mean look this is still the only show that life and death are on at some point in life from a normal prison it's still the show the only show that's co-host has to deal with dodging knife attacks and watching people be slaughtered in the yards and you know, people being stabbed in church. So at least you get that unique aspect of the world. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, of course, so many people have, have wished you the best because they didn't know what was going on. And so uh, we, we do appreciate you all so much. And, uh, and we'll be back next week. Until then, I've been Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nagar. Be safe. Be aware of your surroundings. Your life can depend on it. We'll see you next time.